All of the podcasts here at the Sideshow Network are now at the touch of a button on your iPhone and iPad. With the new Sideshow Network app, tune into all your favorite podcasts here at the Sideshow Network. Go to iTunes App Store, search for Sideshow Network, and download our free app to stream all of your favorite Sideshow Network podcasts at any time you want. The top comedians in the world are at your fingertips with the Sideshow Network app for iPhone and iPad. So, welcome everybody to another episode of Innovation Crush. Innovation Crush. Robert, I've missed you. Oh, uh, you know, that's, that's good. You haven't been around for a few episodes, and I was like, he abandoned me. Never, uh, but never I, but I do like your shirt though. That's a that's Thank a pretty you. cool shirt. You want to describe it? I'm gonna no. Well, I'm gonna take a photograph of it, and then we can post it to the tweetings. The tweetings. <laughs> okay. Um. So, uh, hopefully, by now, people know what the show is about. <laughs> but just in case. <laughs> Um, it, the show is called Innovation Crush, and we kind of go out and find the best uh, innovators we can in the marketplace. Cool projects, people, places, things, um, usually with a skew for marketing and branding. So uh, today with us, we have uh, Deirdre Greengroves and Doyle Mosher from Challenge Detroit. Say hello, folks. Hi. Thank you so much for having us. Hello, everybody. Hey. Not everybody. There's only there's only going to be two people listening. So don't don't get yeah. Don't guys. Don't get ahead of yourselves. Um. So yeah. Just I guess just start off. I, I mean, give us kind of the 101 on what Challenge Detroit is and who you guys are as well. Okay. Well, why don't I start a little bit with uh, with my background, Chris? This is Doyle and. Um, I'm a first-generation builder, been uh, in high-end homes and boutique commercial work and urban infill for the last 35 years, uh, and started a group uh, in the Detroit area called the Collaborative Group, which was like-minded thinkers, entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial thinkers, but from all different sectors, so artists, architects, urban planners, doctors, lawyers, educators, and the original idea behind the concept was to put this group of people together to see if we could, I guess, connect to other influential people, but also come up with innovative and creative ideas. During the formation of the collaborative group, Deirdre and I started an initiative that the collaborative group got behind, which is called Challenge Detroit. And Challenge Detroit, very quickly, we could elaborate on it, but Challenge Detroit has a lot to do with, I guess, what you might want to term as brain drain, but attracting and retaining talent, and specifically to the issues and, and um, the companies in Detroit, but also to the region. What is, what is brain drain? I like I like the phrase, but I, I want to make sure I, I know what it is. Yeah, I, I don't know if I like the phrase or I don't, but it's very personal to me. So, for instance, uh, my daughter, Lindsay, and my son, Matt, uh, both graduated from college a few years ago. Matt stayed in Detroit. So, you know, a young professional who's uh, contributing back to the community from the standpoint of young intellect and connectivity and then my daughter, Lindsay, moved to Lincoln Park, Chicago. 
So when we talk about brain drain, it's, it's coined. I, I would think it's universal, but maybe it's not. But basically, young professionals who grow up in an area but then leave that area, brain drain, to go and live in another community. Got it. Well, I, I think you guys might know this, but I'm a, I'm a Detroit native myself, and now I live in Los Angeles, so I guess I, I drained my brain at, at some point. Yeah, you're part of the drain. <laughs> oh, what a drag. Um, so I have a, a, a statement here from your website, right? It says, uh, can retaining and attracting 30 of the best and brightest innovative thinkers really make a difference? Um, have you answered that question yet with Challenge Detroit? I think that we have already. This is a program that is all about, as Doyle said, attracting and retaining top talent to do something positive in our community and to really help change perceptions. We just started the second program. Um, It's a year-long program. And after we saw our first year come to an end, we saw a lot of great stories and heard great things about the effect of Challenge Detroit through the host companies where our fellows work Monday to Thursday to the nonprofits that we touch on Fridays and the initiatives that we tackle is what we call challenges to really just the awareness about what's happening in Detroit. And over 90% of our fellows have decided to call the greater Detroit area home post challenge Detroit. And they're sticking with their companies too. And some of them are starting businesses here and starting nonprofits. And that is what we want to see. We want to see this positive but balanced story about what's happening in Detroit. No more of the doom and gloom, but really the good things that are going on here too. Yeah. A lot of people like to almost celebrate the, 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 the destruction porn that comes out of Detroit and, you know, photographs, stories, you know, fiscal issues and, and things like that. But, you know, what I've always seen is sort of this underpinning of opportunity. Um, and I think a lot of times when individuals, even like on a personal level or a city or even, you know, we talk a lot about brands on this show, but I look at Detroit as a brand in and of itself. And sometimes when you hit rock bottom, like you have no choice but to innovate and think of things differently. And so that's why this is always has always been one of my um, my favorite projects out of, out of the city. Um, it's just, you know, I wanted to go into a little bit about the companies that are on board, right? You've got GM, CBS radio, the Detroit lions. Was this like a, a no brainer for a lot of the companies to get involved? You know, cause obviously they had to pony up some cash and you know, how much convincing was there involved in, and what was that process like? Well, first of all, just to kind of go back to the collaborative and how the companies came on and why we think they were compelled to do it because really they did it on an idea and they did it because influential people from the collaborative, those in various sectors. So if you take a look at the companies that we have on board, it's very purposeful that you see a wide uh, variety of industries that are represented as well as everything from startups to 100-year-old institutions. So that's a very purposeful and very strategic uh, component of Challenge Detroit because we wanted to draw a the same wide diversity of talent, and in order to do that, if you've got, you know, like Beaumont Hospital that represents uh, medical and Velasquez and communication and Team Detroit and advertising and that type of thing, we thought we would draw that very, very broad talent. So what we did, uh, Chris, was this, is by forming a collaborative group and having these very influential members of the collaborative group, they were able to go out to this wide variety of companies that they were individually connected to 
and give them kind of an overview of what Challenge Detroit was intended to be, because, again, it was an idea of retaining and attracting talent, none of which we knew and could only try to paint the picture of, of what type of talent this might attract. So the leaders of those companies, and this is really how this worked, because at maybe a middle management level it would have been more difficult to be persuasive right. and there would have been more you know, obstacles in front of them, the collaborative members were able to go to the, to the leaders. So whether it's a Gilbert or a Lengthner or Tony Early over at DTE, we were able to go to the leaders and say, you know, this, this is something we think would be good for the community. And one thing, Chris, that you know, I think very well about Detroit, and one of the reasons that it's a very interesting community is because we're very, many of these companies are very community focused and they are willing to collaborate. So that's kind of how we brought the companies on. Right. And then how do you go, like, how do you go about telling the stories of the successes, right? Like, how do you outshine sort of the negative light that you sort of see, you know, in the, in the press, in the news, online, in conversation sometimes? Um, how do you guys approach that in terms of getting the word out? Because at, at the end of the day, you've got 30 companies and 30 individuals plus your group. I mean, that's a big team that, and it could potentially be a powerful voice. So how do you leverage that voice to tell a better story about Detroit? Well, I think every source or medium that you just talked about is something that we've used and considered. But the bottom line is that when we're recruiting this talent, we are telling them that their biggest role while they're here is to be an ambassador for Detroit, not just challenge Detroit, but for Detroit. So that means talking at their host company and making sure that they're educating the people that they sit next to at work about the good things that are happening in the city, the projects that we're working on, why they live in, in the city of Detroit. And that also extends to talking about it on social media. Chris, I think that you might remember this, but a huge part of our application process is that we ask our applicants to submit a one-minute video on why they want to be a part of this program and why they want to be in Detroit. Right. And that gets the community engaged early on. It's a great way for them to connect and to tell the story. And it has helped us in terms of social media because that's also a way that we talk about what our fellows are doing, but really, in a broader sense, what's happening here. From the projects that we work on to what they're doing at work, to the lifestyles that they can lead in Detroit, our fellows are the ambassadors of sharing that message. So you, so you guys basically own these people. <laughs> it's like, I mean, in a, in a good way, but you go, hey, you, I mean, do they have to sign an agreement that, that they'll do all these things? You know, is there sort of a code of conduct that they're responsible for? You, uh, you know, it, what sort of uh, guidelines and parameters do you hold them responsible? Because it sounds like a really high level of responsibility for quote unquote young talent. So how do you, like how do you go about ensuring that they're you know living breathing talking Detroit on a day to day basis in a positive way? Yes, there definitely is an agreement that we work with them on, and I'll I'll just back up a second. And punishment of violation is death. Yeah, a violation, you're out. You're out of the city. You can't come back to Michigan. No exile. Um, but I will back up and I'll say. It's not just telling the positive story, but it's making sure that we're telling a balanced story. And we have to first recognize that there are major challenges in this city. But as you said earlier, from those challenges can come great opportunity. And that's really what we're trying to talk about, too. But we do have certain expectations. We expect that our fellows will be active on social media. So if you're not big on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, when you start this program, you need to be. 
And it, it doesn't have to be just, hey, here's what I'm doing at work, but really how are you living in the city? If it's going to an athletic game on the weekend or going out to dinner or to the bar with your friends, talk about it. Show that you can live a great life in Detroit. And we expect, we always hope, we really expect that our fellows will go above and beyond and that they'll educate us a little bit too on what the coolest thing is to do to share their story and how they're telling people about the city and how they're spreading the message because they're creative and they are innovative. Robert, are you convinced yet? Robert's way younger than I am, so I don't know. I don't even know how young is young talent, but Robert, you, are you convinced? I'm pretty convinced. How old are you? Uh, <laughs> 27. Is, is Robert too old? What's the, what's the, oh, what? gosh, no. <laughs> We're not putting a, an age limit, but this definitely is attractive to recent college grads. But, Robert, you can join, too. If you want to apply, just let me know. Okay. Well, you have to qualify, though, Robert. We want to see your video. Most importantly, the video. Can I apply even if I'm out in Los Angeles? <laughs> well, you would have to go uh, to Detroit. Have, the, the interesting thing, I think there's a, a number of interesting things about Challenge Detroit, but um, if you look at the demographic that we've drawn in both year one and year two, a couple of interesting things about it, which – when you see the way the program is, is diagrammed, it's not necessarily surprising. And you think about that demographic, it's not necessarily surprising. But in the case of, of talent coming from outside, so attracting talent, a third of the talent that we have of these 30 young professionals, they're from outside of the state. And the majority of that, so, so 10 out of the 30, have never even been to the city of Detroit. And that was pretty typical of both year one and year two. So I think our messaging was very good from the standpoint of attracting innovative and creative people. It was uh, compelling from the standpoint of, of, you know, opportunity, but also solving these, these challenges. And so it intrigued a type of person as opposed to maybe somebody who just lived here had family or, or something like that. So. Right. Robert, you would not be unusual to be part of the, the next class. Right, and that's Great, important to us, to have that diversity of talent that can bring so many different perspectives to the table. And Robert has a very engaged Instagram audience. He, he does oh, do pretty I? good. You get a lot of likes on your, on your photos. Thanks, Chris. You're, you're welcome. Um, no, but speaking of... You do video. That's the question, Chris. <laughs> yes, I, I, I'm I a video groupie, and if you guys haven't already, you really need to go out and challengedetroit.org and... Each one of the uh, uh, fellows has done a video. It was their application video, and they're all in one minute or right around one minute. And they're really, really interesting, and they're very diverse, um, which is compelling. Now, uh, Robert and I both have a face for podcasts, so I don't know if we'll, we'll, if we'll be able to, to qualify. <laughs> but um, what, like, just speaking of the, the, uh, the videos, what have been some of the more creative submissions? Like, does everybody just kind of do a talking head video and like, I like, you know, I want to do this because, or do people like go out and, and shoot things and have, add production value to them? What kind of, you know, what sorts of levels of creativity have you seen in terms of submissions? Well, it, the, the spectrum is wider than you can imagine. Um, and, and I think, that, again, this is one of the interesting things and one of the reasons why we ran Challenge Detroit was all we really did was structure it that it had to be a one-minute video. And it could be about the individual. It could, And this is just suggested, not necessarily even stated, but it could be about the individual. It could be about how you could help Detroit. It could be about 
how you could, you know, take an idea or an opportunity. So, for instance, um, graphic artists who you might, as you might expect, they might do some really interesting ideas with, with graphics. Uh, we have a young lady who's, I'm going to call her a semi-professional singer. She sang her way in to, to challenge Detroit in the video. Uh, there's others who have used really creative special effects, um, maybe, maybe changing something from black and white to color as she talks about maybe where Detroit was or where it is right now and how she envisions it. And so she uses a, a visual application as well as a verbal application. Uh, but really, I can't describe what you would see. When you see it, I think you'll be captivated by it. I agree. And some are just words on a screen, and they are, as in Hugh Doyle's words, they are captivating, and they grab you, they draw you in. And the voices that you might hear and the stories that they're telling, it, it, you understand why they want to be here, and you want them here too. Sure. And then just just um, to clarify, I mean, these individuals, when they do go and participate in the program, they're paid a salary and their their housing is taken care of. I mean, am I right? I'm, or I could be making that up. <laughs> but No, you're not making anything up. You've got it. Uh, yes, they're host companies. So that's the, the GM, the Lions that you mentioned earlier. Right. They, are, they pay their salaries directly and any benefits that are typical of the company so that they can sustain while they're here. Oh, wow. We pay their housing Sorry. stipend. And that's because living in the city is not only hugely important, but it is the significant part of our program is ensuring that they are living in the city, that they live and breathe it every day. That's really that's awesome. Actually, that, and Deirdre brings up a point that I think is worth mentioning, is that there was really two very significant areas that we were trying to approach with Challenge Detroit, at least initially. And the first one was retaining and attracting talent. Personally, the brain drain situation, because my daughter moved away, and, you know, as a father, a mother, a brother, a sister, you know, that, that tugs at your heartstrings. So retaining and attracting talent as both kind of an intellectual component, but also an emotional component. And then the other one, and this goes back to both Deirdre's and my uh, background in the built environment, was urban revitalization. So that if we could draw, um, we can attract young professionals and have them live in the city. And Chris, one of the things that, that I've done through my career was to build lofts in downtown Detroit, so old urban um, or, or old industrial buildings converted into really edgy, cool spaces. But it's the type of lifestyle that I think most of us see that many young professionals want to live in. Yeah. But with Challenge Detroit, we were both retaining and attracting and urban revitalization. And by the way, I've, I've seen your uh, your work in the in the housing arena and it, it is pretty amazing uh you know so i i can i guess i'm, I'm going to try to connect some dots here but how much does the vision you have in sort of architecture and aesthetics play a role in what you've developed here is it just more relationships based or is it is there some sort of creative glue where you go you're building something with the same care and and detail as you would a home. Well, I think there. I think you can draw a lot of analogies, and I think that there are analogies. One, one is, as I said before, we were involved um, in helping the urban environment from a built sense. So, building lofts. We were really the first ones. Uh, our company was the first ones to build 
a significant loft building in Detroit, all right, and it's in the Midtown area. So from that standpoint, obviously there, there was a, a physical relationship to it and a lifestyle relationship to it. On the strategic end of it, Challenge Detroit is a lot like building something that's never been built before, imagining the vision, so the, the finished product, whether it's a house or a loft or whatever it happens to be, assembling a, a wide variety of people with various skill sets and connectivity, and then actually being able to build a program around it or build a house around it. So I think that there's actually a lot of analogies but it's not something I typically would do a deep dive on and, and uh, microanalyze how this happened. Sure. Um, no, and, and that's that's awesome. I mean, and, and just looking at the website as well, like, I, you know, I see people come from Toledo, Denver, China, Connecticut. Like, it, it's pretty amazing in, in terms of, like, how do, you, how do you reach out and find, I mean, I get it that they submit videos, but how do you put the word out that says, hey, like, for next year, when year three happens, Obviously, you're going to build on the momentum that you've already gotten. People have been talking about it via social media. But what avenues do you take to to let the world know that this is a, an available opportunity for you know young and, and innovative thinkers? I think that we have been incredibly blessed with the opportunities to share our story, and a lot of times it aligns very nicely with our recruitment period. I think that's called uh, innovation crush, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's what we were just about to yeah. say, Fred. <laughs> um, I think that our, our last year, our inaugural fellows were incredibly helpful in reaching out to the next class. We have some of our fellows who are here today because of one-on-one -on -one connections. Of course, they had to make it through the process and get the job anyways, but those one-on-one -on -one opportunities, and I even saw that in our first year where I may have gone and, and spoken at an event and then chatted with a couple people afterwards, and they applied and they became fellows. I think that you can never forsake that individual connectivity. Also, we do a lot of things behind the scenes, and we use the Internet. That is our, that's such a huge focal point for us. I'm sorry, the what? What's that? The, inter the Internet and oh, recruitment never, never tools heard of online it. and using social media to our advantage and really connecting with a wide audience and also telling the story to the parents. You know, we use Doyle's story. The parents who might say, okay, my kid is off in Chicago, and I want them to come back. So I'm telling them about this opportunity and really leveraging that as well. But I think the bottom line is connecting with the right types of people that want to make a difference and making sure that we have great representations from our own backyard. We want Detroiters to be a part of this. We want people from the region to be a part of this. And we want that other perspective to be a part of this as well. And all the tools that we use, are, are different types of connectivity, but a lot of internet and a lot of one-on-one -on -one personal connections. And not saying no. When someone sends an email and says, I'm interested in your program, do you have time to meet me for coffee or for a phone call? Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Um, so it, it seems like you guys do a lot of really good work, a lot of, you know, giving back to the community and really trying to just kind of like ultra, almost altruistic, you know. And I think it's great. And uh, I was just kind of curious. So... You know, you guys have that really strong, like, work ethic and, you know, desire to create change. Who kind of inspired you guys or what kind of role models did you guys have uh, that kind of led you guys to, to be the kind of people you are? Well, I think I think as most people who um, venture into things like this or, or maybe have successful careers generally look primarily at their parents, and certainly that was the case uh, for me. 
Um, my, my father, um, who is an attorney, was at General Motors, and now he's at another law firm. And by the way, he still works. Uh, he's 92 years of age and still goes into uh, into work every day. So wow. that's obviously very inspirational for me. But the other thing is, is back in 1964, my mother and father founded a very great school in the Detroit area. It's a community college called Oakland Community College, which right now has 80,000 students that are part of that system every year. So I think from the standpoint of a good work ethic, you know, certainly I saw my, my father and my mother having a good work ethic, but also they had a lot of balance in, in life and their perspective in life and giving back. Uh, and so Oakland Community College is one of those things that I kind of absorbed and I grew up with. And I, I suppose to some extent, I wanted to also leave a mark or, or, or help out in a way that was leveraged and leveraged me both as an entrepreneur and as somebody who has seen what their, his parents have done in a, in a leveraged way was really critical to me. Right. Do, do you have like a you know, one giant accomplishment or, you know, goal that you're trying to reach or have you already accomplished it? You know, uh, seems like you've already kind of knocked out a lot of things. So. <laughs> uh, well, I think that maybe one of the biggest goals that we've already accomplished was really launching this program. Doyle and I worked on it for five, over five years to bring this to reality. And there were some points where you think maybe this isn't going to happen and maybe we should just give up, but we never gave up. And we kept going because we thought this is for the betterment of our community, for personal goals, for professional goals, but mostly for community goals. We wanted to see this make a difference and have an impact here in Detroit. And that has been, it's been amazing to see it happen. That first interview trip where we had about 75 people from Detroit and from across the country join us. And when they started coming in the door, we were like, wait a second, this is really happening. And these people are here and they want to be a part of Challenge Detroit. Wow. Well, so the, the other thing, just to understand a little bit about the strategy and how we did this, because if you put it into context, the idea of the collaborative started around 2006 and was more personal and professional than it was philanthropic. And then the idea of Challenge Detroit occurred, it developed, if you will, or started in 2007. And if you looked at the timeline of Challenge Detroit and you looked at the timeline of Detroit itself, you would find that, that Deirdre and I were probably two of a million, and I don't even know if I'm exaggerating, two of a million people who were optimistic, not just, you know, hopeful, but optimistic that the city of Detroit was going to come back and was going to come back in a big way. Well, that's and so what, uh, what we did was, and this sounds, I think it's out there, but this is actually what we did, is we thought if we could change the perception from hopelessness and despair to hope and opportunity, so if we could send the message out, to a demographic that wants to hear that message, which many, I think, of, of young leaders, I, I like to say 20% of their DNA is to give back and to make a difference. So if we could send the message out that Detroit was not hopelessness and despair, but it was hope and opportunity, that we would actually draw them 
and create an attitude change. And if we could create an attitude change, we could actually start a social movement. And it sounds like a really big idea, but I think we did that to some extent. No, that's awesome. And just, you know, in this first couple of years, you know, what have been some of the, I don't know, some of the evidences of, um, of your success, right? Like, has I, I, let me back up a little bit. So when I went to Art Basel, I don't know, two, three years ago in Miami, um, they were honoring a few cities at their opening night event, which was like a big, gigantic beach party. And there was like Glasgow, uh, Mexico City, and Detroit. And it was like the biggest surprise to me. When, you know, when I when I walk, you know, I'm in Miami. There's a hundred thousand people off from the from all over the world, like literally all over the world. And their opening night party is a Detroit party. And you've got DJs from Detroit. You've got artists from Detroit. And I mean, you're talking about a couple thousand people at this thing. So when I look at sort of what you guys are talking about, where there's there are like when you're two of a million, there are people who are all over the you know all over the globe rooting for the city. Um, have have you seen any evidence of Challenge Detroit? Like you know, like oh my gosh, we didn't even know we were noticed on X, Y, and Z platform or or a thing like that. I think some of the evidence of accomplishing our goals or achieving our mission are, are small wins. And that same impact that we're making locally in a neighborhood, working on a community arts project to discourage blight. Um, I think some of the other small wins or some of that evidence is when our host companies give us a call and just say, you're doing a great job. We're keeping our fellow on. We want them to be here. You're connecting to top talent, and we are impressed. Other bits of evidence are when our fellows say, yes, I'm staying in Detroit. I want to be here. I'm, I'm starting a business here. I would say that Doyle and I have been so proud. We saw one of our fellows about a week ago who's launched an animation and video studio here in the city, and he's not from here to begin with. And to see him out videoing other great things in the city and documenting things and sharing that story, we know that our work is paid off when we see that happen. Other things are big. When I've changed my family's perception, that's a big thing to me when I, my family isn't scared of Detroit anymore. It's also big when Innovation Crush calls and says, we want to talk to you and you can learn about what you're doing. That's huge for us when people want to know about our story. Trust me, Innovation Crush isn't that big of a deal. done something well. <laughs> that's awesome. That's, that's really, really awesome. Um, as, as a woman, do you find that the word fellow is exclusive? Oh, no, not at all. In fact, if you look at the uh, demographic, it's two-thirds. In fact, Robert, this might be a good sales pitch for you right now. It's two-thirds women, at least, and one-third guys. And I'm telling you, they're... They're pretty interesting women. So between you, you, wanna, you, you wanna and send I, send them your my audience. Instagram. Yeah, send, send them Robert's Instagram account, and, and uh, he'll do a video of all the women in in in, in your program as part of his uh, submission video. Okay. <laughs> um, so, really, you know, another thing, just speaking of like the, sort of the global impact or the global view on Detroit, is there a plan to like take Challenge Detroit either as the brand itself? or, you know, in other iterations to other locations around the world, you know, or are, are you educating other cities, you know, globally on this process and how they can also do it? Do you find any of that sort of um, ability to, to expand? 
Chris, if I can just interject real quick, Doyle. Chris, I absolutely love when I get a phone call or an email from Portland or someone in Massachusetts or someone in California saying, you know, our community is struggling too, and we want to see something like Challenge Detroit here. The opportunities are endless for Challenge Detroit or for a program like Challenge Detroit. We don't know what the future holds yet, but I think even if it's always Challenge Detroit, this is where my heart is, and I think I can speak for Doyle in saying that too, we can definitely share our knowledge and share our expertise because we can see that this can impact and influence other communities as well. Well, I think the other thing too is um, one of the really nice things about Challenge Detroit, even though everybody might have a slightly different impression or uh, perspective of what Challenge Detroit is, it's really very simple to articulate. You know, we've got live, work, play, give, lead, and however you want to frame that, whether you're an individual or whether you're a city that's looking at Detroit and saying, wow, that's a balanced program, what do each one of those, those mean, what do each one of those pillars mean, and how can we take those and transport those into our community? Uh, the other thing about it is the platform is pretty well thought out and very well executed, even though it's been a couple of years, it's been several years in the making. So you literally could take Challenge Detroit, move it into another community, slightly uh, um, modify it for what the needs of that community are, and you've got a program, a ready-made program. I think internally what we're looking at here is that as we help to develop leaders and, and across a you know, dimensional group of leaders, because, and, and you, know, you can evidence that by the different companies that they work for, as the leaders grow from 30 to 60 to 90 to 300, whatever, and these leaders, if you will, are going through a program, a balanced program, so they're, they're seeing the needs, they're seeing the wants, they're exposed to culture because we've also got uh, you know, a number of um, cultural institutions, large and small, that have aligned with us. But, but I think what we're doing is we're developing future leaders with a very balanced approach. So I think for the future, it also bodes very well for what Challenge Detroit could potentially do locally. That's awesome. And uh, speaking of growth and, and more people coming to the table, uh, Cooper Bates just joined us. We just turned this into, into a uh, Challenge Detroit party. Uh, say hello, Cooper. Hello, people. How are you? <laughs> um, so uh, Cooper is a uh, another... Um, great thinker, and and uh, he's he's come on board as my uh, guest co-host along with Robert and I t- today. So uh, he had a, a really deep interest in, in what you guys are doing. He's a filmmaker, a business owner, and um, philanthropist, and he and he makes really good mints, which uh, he can, <laughs> he can probably tell you about it at some point. Um, but uh, what I wanted to what I wanted to ask also is. Um, are there other um, projects in Detroit that are taking place that you guys know of and admire? Because the amazing thing about this, in, you know, with Challenge Detroit, is that you're not the only ones, right? There's a huge movement of change that's happening in the city. So, are there? What are some other noticeable projects that you guys admire or or look at and, and say they're also hitting the nail on the head? That's a really tough one because there are, as you said, we are not alone and there are so many other people doing such awesome things. I would say 
just last week, uh, we participated with our fellows in an event, a few-day-long event called the Detroit Design Festival. And, Chris, you would love it. It's all these different design happenings across the city, and it's taking brings people into different neighborhoods, takes people on different experiences, talks about art, talks about design thinking, talks about being creative as an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur, whatever it might be. And I think that that is hugely relevant, and it's drawing people outside of their comfort zone. And it's drawing a lot of people from the greater region, too. And things like that are so exciting. So the Detroit Design Festival, D-Electricity, all these little events, or I shouldn't even say little, these events that are happening that are bringing people together. Outside of that, we adore the work of DHive, which is really about community building and bringing great awareness to what's happening in the city. They do all of our tours with us of the city. So on our interview trip, when we're introducing our applicants to the city to in-depth neighborhood tours when our fellows arrive in Detroit. Those are just a few of our favorite people and groups, but there are other like-minded organizations like the Detroit Collaborative Design Center, like Bleeding Heart Community Group. There are all these groups that we partner with through our challenges as well and with all these different nonprofit partners that allow us to also leverage our impact by connecting with people who are experts and who are down and getting into the root of what's happening in the community. But those are just a few of our favorites, but the list goes on and on, whether it's fashion or technology or just spreading a good message and restaurants, 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 restaurants. There are good things happening there. Mm. After Five Detroit, Model D Media, I could go on for days. I think think the other thing, um, Chris and Robert and now Cooper, uh, if I got that right, I think the other thing that's really interesting, and looking at, at it again from an from an entrepreneur's perspective, having having been an entrepreneur all my life, um, is that the boundaries now are really widening. I mean, it, it it used to be that the conservative thinking, government bureaucracy, all those kinds of things that maybe tightened the boundaries. Um, for a, a host of different reasons, whether it's the automotive struggling through, uh, uh, you know, the bankruptcies and and, uh, and the downturn there in the economy, the the home sector that turned down probably as bad or worse in Detroit as it did anywhere in the country, uh, those things that are going on with uh, with local government, primarily in the city of Detroit, those boundaries now have loosened to the point where entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial thinkers really have a lot of latitude to experiment, to explore, to innovate, to create. And the other thing here that's unique, I think, um, based on my, my last 35 years, is this collaboration. And not just with, as I think we understand a lot of times, young professionals are very collaborative by nature, but now we're seeing a community that's collaborating. Right. And, and, and it's really, really special. And I think that's one of the, I think there's a lot of reasons why the media is looking at Detroit, but I, but I think that's one of them that puts it on the edge where, as you talk about, I can't remember what, what it was in Miami that you went to, but, you know, Detroit's right on that edge. And it's, I think there's a lot of curiosity, like what's going to happen, Right. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you this, too. I mean, you know, it sounds like also there is because there's so much happening. Right. And and you said the restraints are being loosened. Innovation is abound, if you will. Um, 
are there almost too many options, right? Because sometimes I, me as an insider on the outside looking in, I go, it's, it, it's not happening fast enough, right? You want it to happen faster um, and you want to root for it. And you want to like, you know, you always want to beat the, the negative perception. Do you think that there's almost too many options? And so therefore it becomes a little bit disjointed of an effort where or do you feel like there's a real sense of community across all these different efforts that are happening and kind of catalyzing, you know, uh, the, the change or the upswing? Well, I, I think like most successful endeavors, um, you, you get a lot of parties at the table that want to be part of it. And some of them are highly passionate, highly motivated, and, and have the ability to execute like I think Deirdre and I and the collaborative have. And then you have others that, you know, they're not really in for the grind. I mean, this is a, this is a glory talking to you, but, you know, it's, 70 hours a week, especially for Deirdre at this point, of grind, 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 grind. And so I think what happens, Chris, and I think what's good about this is you have a lot of people coming to the table. You have a lot of ideas out there. And in the beginning, it looks a bit like noise. But I think what it does is the, the best ideas, the, the people who are able to execute, those that are able to kind of morph with the situation, you know, they'll – they're going to be successful. And so I I don't think it's a bad thing having all these things happening. I think it's really a good thing. That's great. I have a question. Um, I'm not sure if, because I'm just arriving. You want to use mine? Oh, Cooper has a question, but for I think we're having technical difficulties, so he's going he's gonna to steal Robert's mic. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Robert. Thank you. Um, so my question is, and sorry if this question's already been covered but uh why do we care honestly like there detroit is a microcosm in the fabric of of the united states there's so many other issues out there so many so why do we care about detroit so much well i would say several reasons detroit matters because the people here matter our history matters our future matters the work that we are trying to do matters. And I think that the story that has been told in Detroit and that is being told right now could happen anywhere. And I think there are a lot of lessons that people can learn from Detroit. And it is important to understand how hard it can be to be a city like Detroit and to be an individual in this city or be an organization that's trying to make a difference because the challenges sometimes seem insurmountable, but the work that we're doing matters. And, it, and again, I go back to the most important thing, the people here matter and their stories matter. And we have to support and strive to show that they matter. That's awesome. my perspective. Awesome. I might give you a little more philosophical perspective on that, I think. And one of the reasons that we did this and did it the way that we we did was kind of what what the, the I don't know if you call it the culture or whatever, but I mean just even even looking at media and what it was doing. So like with reality competitions and things like that, and you would see that these the audiences for like an American Idol or a Dancing with the Stars or whatever it is, and not to be trivial about it, but you would see the audience really rooting for the underdog. And I think that. To the, in the root of human nature, 
It's that we want to see the underdog survive because we see ourselves as the underdog. And in the case of Detroit, the, the beauty that happened, I think, or the, the best thing that happened to Detroit was it got so bad that we dropped from competition of other like cities to the underdog, mm. where if Detroit can come out of this, that means we can come out of this. So I think on a, mm. on a, on a much higher level, if you will, from the standpoint of well, why does it matter in Detroit or why does it matter internally is one thing, but why does it matter externally and why are other cities looking at us? Because if we can come out and we can come out in a way that we're not on top necessarily, but in, in a way that says we survived, then I think that that's really hopeful for a lot of other cities. Yeah, it's, it's it's interesting. I've always looked at it. Thanks, Cooper, for, for picking that fight. Uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> no, I, I've always looked at Detroit as like a uh, the blueprint, right? You know, it's not it won't be the only one and it's not the only one. And, and, and the more examples we can set on how to overcome things. You know, and that's that goes for Detroit. That goes for, you know, the people in this room, the people in your room, families, whatever it is. It's like the more examples that there are that are out there, you know, uh, the the more there is to, to pull from and learn from and kind of uh, mold your own your own uh, solution. And one other uh, thought or question uh, to add to that is um, the people that care most about Detroit, I, I liken this to kind of Africa, right? Um, it seems like over the past dozen years, whenever I have met somebody or I know somebody who's gone to Africa, they always come back changed. And they're, they're now a philanthropist in some way or another. And people who want to find themselves go to Africa because there's so much to do and there's so many opportunities to, to gather oneself and, and reinvent themselves. So my question for Detroit is, the people that care the most are they outsiders or are they the people that are on the inside like who's doing most of the the innovative creating communal work right now i don't think that i can say whether it's individuals from the as you say outside or inside i think at least what we're trying to strive for, strive for through Challenge Detroit is that balance. And I know we talked about it a little bit earlier, but that, that balance of perspectives and recognizing that people who grew up in the city have a very different perspective of Detroit than someone from one of the coasts who right. decided that they want to come here and make a difference. But that doesn't mean that they can't both make a difference and mm-hmm. launch a business after they've been here or have passion for the city. And I see in a lot of my peers and my friends who are here, a lot of them are from Detroit. A lot of them are from the region. They grew up in the suburbs and decided to move to the city because they wanted a great city and they want to be close to home and close to family. But I see others who aren't from here and are making equal, if not greater, impacts in the community. So I, I don't know that I can really say if it's one or the other. Do you have a, a thought on that, right. Well, I think it's as unique as the individual. Mm-hmm. So everybody sees a little something different. And one of, the, one of the great things about an idea like Challenge Detroit is it's, it's open to exploring big ideas 
and moving forward in an innovative and creative way. And it's also very focused on solving needs. You know, some of the some of the um, the most basic needs of society because we're we're really drawing this very wide cross demographic and using innovation and creativity and collaboration and these these, these different experiences and education um, to bring individuals together and then move them from maybe a futuristic idea to something that's more on the, the subsistence level. Mm-hmm. So and and that's what I think that is the future of all great cities is this collaborative thinking and you know, one of us might have a great idea, but we don't even know what else is out there until we, we, we draw it. And Cooper, you came in a little bit late, but the best evidence of that that I can give you is to go on to our website, ChallengeDetroit.org, and watch some of the videos from the different individuals who are fellows this year. They're as wide in spectrum as you could imagine. And that's why I say I think it's to the individual. And the thing about Detroit is that it is one of the most significant cities in the world, at least historically modern modern history. And and there's there's so many things that have happened here almost simultaneously that it becomes this pot, if you will, for for attracting and retaining creative and innovative people. Well, it's really interesting. I mean, kind of like the the initial answer to to Cooper's question, uh, Deirdre, you, you phrased it as perspective. Because uh, when I log on to your blog, the most recent blog entry in the very first line of that blog entry says, "If I had to summarize my experiences at the Challenge Detroit Innovation Boot Camp, I would use one word: perspective." Um, which is really interesting. I mean, the whole idea of collaboration is to bring in multiple perspectives. I think you need all you know all different sorts of walks of life and experiences and and things to have a holistic approach to you know solving uh, problems like these um i i want you both to sort of uh take all this this uh this this in-depth conversation in and and soak in it and bask in it for a second uh and i'm going to throw this <laughs> this uh phrase out to you and either of you or both of you can complete it um Innovation to me is. Well, we're pointing at each other. Yeah, <laughs> innovation is pointing at each other. Make make it simple. I I think innovation to me is putting a structure to a vision and then allowing it to be organic. That's great. Putting an innovate wait putting a say it again putting a vision to a structure and allowing it to be organic. Putting, Putting structure to a vision. So Challenge Detroit, for, in, for instance, is a vision, okay, of all these young professionals come, coming together and whatever. So it's structured from the standpoint that we know what city, we, we know who's coming in, all of that, but then allowing it to be organic. And that, to me, is what innovation is. It's, not, it's on a railroad track. We're not exactly sure what's going to happen as it goes there because it needs guidance, but it isn't something that we're forcing, we're guiding. And I would say that innovation could mean a lot of things to me, but in the perspective of Challenge Detroit, 
innovation is accepting that challenge and going with it and not looking back and not stopping and doing your best to accomplish that vision. That's awesome, which has taken you on this five to seven year journey you guys have been on. It's, it's awesome work. Um, I want to thank you both for uh, for joining us today. And uh, where can where can people find out more information? What's your what's your Twitter handles, your websites, uh, all that stuff? Now's your time to, to sort of do your shameless plugs. <laughs> sure. ChallengeDetroit.org and tweet with us. We want to chat with everybody. So uh, that's at ChallengeDET. And yeah, come check us out. And if you have questions, shoot us an email. As I said, we won't say no to an email, a phone call. We definitely want to connect. And Robert, I'll be looking for your video. And uh, (laughs) I'm telling you, it's it's, uh, two to one on the odds. So it looks pretty good for you. All right. I'll I'll put that together (laughs) immediately. Today. So lastly, when is like what you started to talk about the submission cycle? When is that taking place? It typically begins in the first of the year. So our application process has run from about January to May. It's a pretty in-depth process. So stay tuned. Hopefully we'll be announcing when the next round of applications will be ready. So, But we really, really, really want to thank all three of you, Cooper, Robert, and especially you, Chris, for this wonderful opportunity. So (laughs) thanks for letting us share our story. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. All right, guys, this has been another episode of Innovation Crush. I want to thank the Challenge Detroit team for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next time, or at least talk to you next time. If you like listening to comedy, try watching it on the Internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleichinger, Slicing I've been friends with her for 10 years. One of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to YouTube.com slash WaitForItComedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore because it's here and it's funny and I love you. A few days ago, Brooke Tudine posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and three comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.